So my advice to everyone out there who's frustrated, sad, angry, pissed off, feel those emotions, go to a kickboxing class, have a margarita. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Well, hello and welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program. Some sage advice from Jen Saki to all, all of her uh, lib friends there with margaritas and kickboxing <laughs> I mean, that's classes. pretty wild. I mean, that's that's where they are now. Like, it, I guess it was less insulting when they're like, there's no federal response. And all right, folks, just have some margaritas. Like, no, it, it is it is funny when she basically acknowledges like the base that we know that they have. Yeah, that's, is, that's like, exactly li- right. Lib wine moms who overreact to things. <laughs> Like, if they only got a little tie bow in, they'd be better adjusted. <laughs> it's like, man, you know what? You'd do a lot better if you just told those people to turn off CNN. Yeah, just turn it off. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? You wouldn't need the, the margarita. I mean, I guess it's just like a Marie Antoinette thing. It's like, let them ha- eat cake. Like, okay. <laughs> the, 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 the country, like, we can't get groceries we need. And what we can is ex- insanely expensive. Gas prices are through the roof. Okay, just have some margaritas, guys. This is from the White House. They're supposed to be, like, solving problems here. Whatever your problems are, are nothing that can't be taken care of by an overpriced exercise class, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> Kickboxing margarita. Forget that the world's falling apart. You know, that's sage advice. Sage advice from the administration. I mean, what is, what's actually going right? Like, how many, how many margaritas do you need for this administration to start looking competent? I mean, you got to be shit-faced. Yeah, pretty much. Uh... What's, I mean, the latest, there's a poll that found that 60%, 60% would vote against Biden if the election were held now. That's Incredible. just remarkable. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, like, uh. this is going to be a red wave we're already seeing. Um, but I just, I can't believe that Dems didn't start seeing the tea leaves when Yunkin won. They're like, no, we're going to double down. They did. Like, uh, the governor of uh, New York, uh, Hockle, today, uh, when asked about kids masking, was like, you know what? Sometimes my kid doesn't want to wear sneakers when they go to school. It's like, really? That's really that's where we're going with that's, this? That's where we're going. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so we got a really big program for you today. Uh, our sponsor, one that you're familiar with, if you're a consistent listener to the Variety program, is the American Federation for Children. And they've done a new game for us today. Right? That's yeah, yeah, terrific. We, we, we played it uh, a couple weeks ago, and this is going to be another iteration of that game. It should be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be really good. Uh, we also have Congressman Billy Long. He's a Senate candidate in Missouri, a very crowded field. We've done an uh, interview with the AG Eric Schmidt there, been on, in our continued commitment to try to get you as many candidates as we can in these contested primaries so you can make up your own mind. Mr. Long has joined us today. He's an auctioneer. Yeah. So he's, he's entertaining. Well, a fast interview. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. No, he's entertaining. And what I found uh, most interesting is that he actually took the knives out. Oh, nice. Yeah, we haven't had a lot of primary candidates come in and, like, really unload the oppo drawer. Yeah. Long decided that was that that, that time had come. Well, you know, I mean, we try to stay a little impartial if, if, if possible in any of these things. But, hey, if you want to come, come out here onto the variety program drop it yeah we always will be a welcoming base of support for people talking shit about each other <laughs> uh also a special thank you to the house republican leadership for last week's event 
I thought that was really fun. We got some good information out of it. A big crowd, which was nice to see. Standing room only. It yeah. was awesome. Yeah, which was nice to see. And I, I don't know. I had a good time. How about you, fellas? I had a great time. I had a great time. It was entertaining. Playing the game was a lot of fun. Uh, really nice to get out there and, and do a live event. It really was. It really was. You know, um, the, other, the other thing people really liked from last week was that bonus episode. <laughs> It's so good we may we may think about doing that again. So if you're if you're like a, a newer listener to the variety program and you probably haven't been as familiar with uh, with my vocal skills, uh, <laughs> snuck in a I would do anything for love rendition of a famous meatloaf song. <laughs> like about six was it like six months ago, Ashbrook? Yeah, I think at, so. at the end of an episode. Yeah, we re released that in honor of, of Meatloaf. meatloaf uh, yeah. Rest in peace. Uh, a great a great entertainer. Just a magician of a voice that we provided here on the program. <laughs> Those, I, I saw an amazing tweet, which is like, you know, rest in peace, Meatloaf, who made the most metal album covers to trick kids into listening to like show tunes. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. really incredible, incredible, incredible stuff. Uh, so a new poll came out before we get to our five stars. I just thought I would add this because I think it's it's great. NBC News, so it's no. Uh, no friend of the conservative, but they can't ignore the obvious either, shows a double-digit uh, advantage in voter enthusiasm, per their latest poll. Oof. In previous midterm cycles, whether it's 2006, 10, 14, or 18, the party that held double-digit advantage in enthusiasm, or close to it, ended up making substantial gains. Uh, 13, 17, 11, I mean, just tons of seats, right? So, look, everything's headed in the right direction. Yeah, you know, I think we kind of called this a couple of months ago on the Variety program here as this sort of Omicron wave was making its way back to the Northeast and everything that like, you know, we weren't actually at the bottom of Biden's, you know, approve, disapprove. Right. I still and, don't think we are. Right. Because, you know, now the, the the liberals who've been glued to MSNBC for the last two years during the pandemic and, you know, voted for this guy because he promised he was going to shut down the virus and didn't do it, uh, suddenly they couldn't get tests and they couldn't get the monoclonal antibodies. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of having to come to grips with that. And, yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously going to impact enthusiasm to turn out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and BBB failed, right? right? So, right. like, their base even is starting to erode. I mean, right? these, these numbers are amazing. So for, for comparison, 2018, it was D plus 9. You know, Democrats had a nine-point advantage in voter enthusiasm. They picked up 40 House seats. Right now we're at Republican plus 14. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It really, really is. Um, all right, let's read some five stars, fellas. Yeah. This, uh, this first one's from Swift Fate, uh, entitled Keep the Program Coming. Hi, fellas. I never write reviews for things, but Ruthless has become such an amazing part of my week. I knew I had to. In blue state of Minnesota, shout out. Yeah. Uh, the program is like verbal inoculation against COVID hysteria, soaring crime rates, and media manipulation. Knowing Ruthless is just a podcast way I can sandman smirk my way through carjackings, <laughs> flash mob robberies, and bare shelves. As I drive home maskless, surrounded by double-masked fellow commuters, Ruthless makes it possible for me to mouth, let's go Brandon in every car that passes. <laughs> Thanks for everything. Keep it coming. Wow. You want me to take this one? Yeah, okay. Yeah, grab the second. From MD Nick. Uh, the title is Don't Get Mad, Get Ruthless. Seriously, I've been a friend of the program since the first day, and I truly think of the fellas as friends. From the sound bites at the beginning of each episode through to Smug's charge at the end, 
you guys keep me smiling. No, no one else takes the current events and brainworm takes spewed at us daily and packages them in a way that is both informative, vitamins, uh, some parentheses, yep. as well as hysterical candy. That's right. That's the recipe. Got to give the candy. Got to do it. Without the show, this current election and days following would have been downright depressing. Thank you for keeping us laughing and more importantly, reminding us that there are a lot of great people out there still working hard for our country to preserve our for our children. This the last best hope of man on earth. That's right. I wear my Ruthless tank with pride. Nice. And often tell my friends, listen to Ruthless. It will cheer you up. My BFF is now a friend of the program. Welcome. Good. As well as well and we can't wait to join you in dc for the live show wow good the best part of every show is smug's laugh hands down keep it up fellas nice <laughs> Great review. I, so i love this one it's from bobby d439 title is animal rights most of this podcast is ways to defend yourself from random wild exotic <laughs> animal attacks and i love it i gotta say smug i completely disagree about ostrich versus horse have you ever seen a horse kick someone? It's brutal. <laughs> Keep up the amazing work, fellas. I really think you want to get like a first strike to, to before the horse can begin the kicks and such. You've made yourself That's very, very, very clear, clear that yeah. you would you would cheat. Yeah. But, but but I but I love I love. <laughs> Remember that was his initial take. It's how we became a horse fighting podcast is that he was talking about <laughs> how he'd sneak up and give an unsuspecting <laughs> horse a kick to the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. So you want to get into our sponsor? Let's do it. Sure. So uh, this game of Guess the School Choice Hypocrite is sponsored by the American Federation for Children, the nation's largest school choice advocacy organization fighting to elect state policymakers and helping pass school choice laws in states so that all families can have the freedom to choose the best K through 12 education for their kids. You can follow AFC on social at school choice now and they have a new education freedom pledge that voters, lawmakers, and candidates... This is very important, mm-hmm. folks. Voters, lawmakers, and candidates need to sign at edfreedompledge.com. You can, you can also text RUTHLESS to 73218 to learn more about school choice in your state. And you should really do that. That's awesome. It's super important. It's no more important time to do it than now. Right. You've got right. these now psychos. Is, now is the time to hold their feet to the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so on to the game. Uh, I'm going to read a clue, and then Smug and Holmes have to choose from one of the multiple choice options. The winner of each game collects a Randy coin. Remember the Randy coin? Yeah. An unsanctioned cryptocurrency that empowers people to fight union boss Randy Weingarten's multi-billion dollar per year influence machine. I'm interested. I like that. Is this that? It's like a NFT. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I want a Randy coin. <laughs> okay. Here's the clue. Which member of Congress bragged about how they, quote, got their goddaughter into a charter school, end quote, and publicly cheered when the unions organized thousands of teachers in L.A. to walk out of class on strike in 2019 and plugged a donate button for the striking teachers. Hmm. This member is a part of the Democratic Socialists, (laughs) which calls for, quote, ending the creation of new charter schools, banning the expansion of existing charter schools, and transforming existing charter schools into public schools, a.k.a. unionizing these schools. Oh, my Lord. It's incredible. Oh, so we get choices? Yeah, the multiple choices here. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Bernie Sanders. Okay. AOC. Okay. Rashida Tlaib. I'm trying to think of who the people are who would have one of these people be their godmother yeah to their kids <laughs> i mean are you kidding me well apparently it was a pretty good hookup though oh yeah well that maybe... charter school 
yeah, it worked out. Pulled some strings. Pulled a little strings. Um, oh, geez, you know, like my thought on this is, uh, should we just talk it out? Talk it out. Yeah, I mean, th- this is a really tough one. Very tough. This is a tough one. Um, my initial thought is when you hear someone talk about like goddaughter, that's usually like you know a younger women kind of thing. Like, oh, I got a goddaughter. You know, I got her this gift, or we're having some celebration for it. So, so, so my initial inclination was that. But I feel like AOC is like so hardcore; she'd want no affiliation to Charter. Also, so- also, yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's, I think that is a piece of this puzzle that that is a clue. Okay. Um, and Bernie Sanders, I mean, I don't know. Is he really talking about his goddaughter? I, don't, I mean, I feel like his goddaughter's got to be 107 years old at this point, right? Also, but I kind of thought it might be Bernie because it's like behind the scenes. Like he, he's classic hypocrite. Like, you know, he's got like multiple vacation oh, you're right. houses yeah. and stuff. Million, he's a millionaire and a yeah. billionaire. Yeah, he used to be like, <laughs> you know, what was it? Like tax the millionaires and then he became a millionaire and it became tax the just, billionaires. Just the billionaires. Yeah, no, right. not me. Just the billionaires now, guys. <laughs> you're right. That so, does leave the door open Mike, for Bernie. So my guess is Bernie. All right. he's. A, I'm going to go with Rashida Tlaib because I think she's just sort of a unique hypocrite in so many different ways. I agree AOC is too hardcore. I think it could be Bernie, but I think Rashida Tlaib's my guess. Fellas, you're both wrong. It was no! AOC. It was AOC. <laughs> no! That's incredible. AOC bragged about how she got her goddaughter into a charter school. No way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just it right there. It's right. like, it's all about like, hey, they want to stop everyone else's kids from getting a quality education. But if they have the means to, they absolutely get their right. kids to a charter school. I can't Unreal. believe that. That's incredible. Unbelievable. And stuff. somebody chose AOC to be their kid's godmother. Yeah. I'm calling CPS on that lady. Wow. I can't imagine that the education she's going to be providing other than getting her into the charter school is yeah. going to be very good. Again, worth the hookup. Worth the hookup. <laughs> All right. So the lead topic, you can't open a newspaper or watch anything on television without the talk about the Ukrainian issue that is up. Um Russian troops are still poised to invade Ukraine, and Biden has been doing a cleanup for the mess that he's uh, made over last week's discussion, if you recall, when he called it a minor incursion. Oh, quote yeah. unquote, minor incursion. Um, at his press conference last week. Yeah, he called it a minor incursion, and then also was like, yeah, you know what, NATO, like, well, we don't really have a plan to stop him. We can't agree on anything. Yeah, he, he said just that. said that publicly. Which NATO was not saying. No. In fact, it sort of undermines their position. Right. You know, it's like... You know, we joke on on the variety program a lot about you know brain dead Biden and he's got <laughs> dementia and stuff. Yeah. I sundown mean, Biden, I believe is the sun, new term. Yeah, and sundown, go sundown Biden, down. and people are like, "Wow, you can't say that! Like that is really mean to say." And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> Did you just see that press conference? Yeah. You see, he literally publicly to the world gave away. The strategy and position of his allies. Sundown. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, it's like a pattern. It's like when he showed up the last time when he meets Putin, he's like, okay, so here's a list of the places that would really <laughs> suck if you hacked. And he's like, all right, thanks, dude. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> They're like, which one do you want to start with, energy? Yeah. <laughs> Here comes the pipeline hack or the meat thing hack. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, for, for, for four years, the press and, like, so many of these grifters got rich with their, like, book deals about how, like, 
Trump's secret KGB connection. Right, they're all, all Russia, just, Russia experts. Yeah, yeah, all just made up bullshit, right? Yeah. Like, all these people have got their careers, they made their books, they got on MSNBC, they got on CNN. Like, the cover of Time Magazine had the White House turning into Russia. Like, yeah, it just polluted the information flow in our country. Completely. And then, like, what, what were the four years of Trump uh, in, in terms of relations to Russia? Like, he was constantly sanctioning people. The cops were picking up Russians left and right. Like, uh, in, in D.C., he sent all these FBI agents to arrest a bunch of Russians. Well, remember he bombed the airfield in Syria that the <laughs> Russians were yeah. uh, inhabiting. So he's basically, like, hell on earth for Putin. And now, this has just been one year. Putin's got a pipeline from Biden, Nord Stream. He's, he's basically taking over energy for Eastern Europe. And now he's going to have Ukraine, like, it, I mean, in the, 12 months. The, the giving... Putin a list of things to not hack is it's so one of the best funny. ever. It's so funny to me. It's like giving a pedophile your kid's school. Yeah, your school. So schedule. this is the school you should not show up. <laughs> do at. not show up do at this not, school. Do not. <laughs> but you know that there's some familiarity here in the foreign policy ties that bind that you all may find some interest in. Uh, there was news over the weekend that the U.S. will start evacuating non-essential personnel from Ukraine. Mm. Oh, that was interesting, except then you find out that they weren't doing any evacuation, actually. They were just, like, telling them, like, hey, you should probably get out of there. Yeah, hey, hey head home. I mean, <laughs> does that like, sound familiar? They're like, you need to, uh, we advise you to work on your grip strength. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Figure out what part of the plane you're going to try to hang on to. We have the situation under control. Figure, figure out which strut yeah. is best for your arm. Start camping out at the airport, you know? God knows what's going to happen. See if you can fit in the overhead bin. Yeah. It's like, it's it's absolutely chaotic. Like, there's 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 clearly no plan. And you'd think, you'd think after having no plan in Afghanistan, they'd learn, hey, maybe we should think things out. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing. Nothing. They haven't done anything. So now Biden is, is publicly weighing whether we're going to send thousands of American troops to the Baltic states. After he's already undermined NATO, which, by the way, that's what NATO does. That's right. what NATO does. Right? right. So saying that NATO has no plan and now talking about American troops, you can understand the incongruity yeah. of something like that. I mean, imagine being a small country, right? Anywhere in the world, you've got three more years to survive under Biden. Yeah. They're like, oh, man, like, <laughs> what are we going to do? And like the history of foreign policy under Dems, it was it was uh, uh, I think it was under Clinton that they convinced Ukraine to give up their nukes. Right. And then you had uh, uh, Hillary was part of the team that convinced uh, Gaddafi to get rid of his weapons. Look at what happened to Libya. Now look what's happening in Ukraine under Biden. It's like, it, do not listen to any Democrats' the, advice. Like they are your literally country horrible at this. Is gonna fall apart. The good news for the White House is that they have a resident expert in Ukrainian affairs. Yeah. That's the thing is, like, how has Hunter Biden not been brought in? He's got vast experience in Ukrainian affairs. He's paid millions of dollars. The guy could defuse this. This man, he is ready, willing, rested, and able. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and uh, and you can pay him in all kinds of different ways. Right? Yeah, right. I mean, I, could, uh, I bet these days he's like, here's my crypto wallet, you know. <laughs> I got a lot of deals going on, whether you want to buy a painting, whether you want to come, you know, say hey to my dad if you buy a painting. How much fee action does this buy? I, mean, I think I think he should just merge the schemes and set up on a rooftop, you know, in, in Ukraine and, and paint paint the Russian invasion. You know? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's wild because, like, we were told, hey, I mean, the, the, the New York Post got locked up for, for being like, hey, you know, there's a lot of shady stuff around Hunter Biden and all these uh, – you know, quote, journalists were like, oh, that's Russian disinformation. Putin wants you to see this. And they're all quiet. 
Yeah. They're all quiet right now. I mean, nobody's done more to have Russian disinformation spread across this country than the people who are apparently in charge of this now. Yeah, yeah, that's a big joke. It's like all those disinformation desks and stuff that publications run. All they were trying to do is like silence any discourse that's critical of Biden during the election. And now you're seeing Russia has never had it so good. Right. Never. And they've all moved on to COVID, all those Russia experts. Now they're COVID experts. I mean, by the midterms, (laughs) by the midterms, Biden might have the USSR back together. Like, (laughs) that's unbelievable. So, you know, you might wonder what it is that Joe Biden's doing to prepare for all of these things. Interesting, because we've heard now from reports from NBC News that several Democratic lawmakers have reported getting unexpected phone calls from the president to applaud him for the on-air appearances boosting his agenda. Oh, you remember when Trump used yeah. to do that? And it was like, wow, this is unbelievable. We have a president who watches the news and is and is calling people who do hits that help him. Yeah. I mean, the, the, van- the, the vanity, the vanity. I mean, how, how could you do that? It's just the parallels are incredible. Yeah, right. Right. And these guys, I mean, this is just sort of a passing report. Meanwhile, sundown is sitting there watching MSNBC <laughs> all day. Sundown's got his pudding and his MSNBC. <laughs> I mean, now that now that word is out on this, like Jen Rubin's going to get so much crazier. She's like, I really have to shine. I know he's watching. Right. <laughs> I need to get that Klain retweet. Well, apparently the Klain thing has become a little bit of an issue, too, because as Biden is looking for the reset uh, on his second year in office, the spotlight has gone on to Ron Klain, who I think by any objective measure as a chief of staff has utterly failed to do his job. Right. This this from NBC News is is so awesome. So awesome. It says, uh, well, it starts as Biden seems to have been drawn into uh, at least the cable news coverage of his presidency from inside the administration. Some officials expressed concern that Klain, quote, micromanages the West Wing and gives outsized credence to cable news and social media. Unbelievable. Jen Rubin is like screwing this all up for him. (laughs) It's just incredible. They say Klain's critics have also privately complained. They privately complained about what they view. It's like uh, that he has a dated view of what it looks like to be presidential. Oh, really? Modern presidential. Right. He had the perfect example of how to lead. He had Trump there. Show him how to do it. (laughs) You mean they might think that it's a little bit like West Wing? Oh, I mean, that's all they think it is. It's 100 percent. There we go. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing is it's like he thought going, you know, walking down to Congress would be like, oh, wow, he's going to get everyone on his side. That didn't work. Right. It's like also that episode where like uh, the president, the uh What's his name? Charlie Sheen's dad. Martin Sheen. Yeah. Uh, like his barber in the military got yeah. plane shot down. He did nothing about it because he's a soft lib. <laughs> You're seeing that too. He's like, well, in West Wing, <laughs> President Bartlett didn't do shit about it. <laughs> soft lib. <laughs> I, think, I think it also sort of reveals where the criticism is coming from. I mean, who thinks what he's doing is dated other than people who are young and haven't been there very long and think that constantly retweeting everything that the president does is the same thing that I don't know the other chiefs of staff before him have done again it's it's because the team right now in the White House is not even like the JV team left over from Obama it's like the JV interns backbenchers <laughs> during the Obama administration who are like the only people willing to take a job with sundown and this nightmare of a White House I mean like there's zero talent there Jen Psaki's like looking at her watch like when can I go to Amazon when can I go to Amazon I want to get out of here no, I think you're right. And it's like, you know, it illustrates the point that we've made in the variety program that this is not a failure of an administration. And like they're in a foxhole. Right. 
And so uh, they're taking anything they can get, any lifeline, you know, any RT, any MSNBC, you know, uh, guest who boost the agenda there i mean yeah that's that's the highlight because it's all they got it's all they got that's that's it like the highlight of their day is maybe they get a retweet from a big time lib because then they're like all right back to the office what country's being taken over now you know (laughs) shit stock market's down Uh uh-oh i'm not trying to talk about that or like grocery prices or we got trains getting robbed in california like we got something on that later like i better get back on twitter try to get a retweet yeah we got something something on the train robberies uh which we will cover more but we first have to get into some animal news of course, so, our, our bread and butter. Yeah, it's our bread and butter. And as you know, over the last couple of months, we've paid special attention to the squirrels. Yes. Right. So the question is, like, are squirrels just assholes? Uh, there's some new studies that suggest, no, they're just privileged. Huh. Yeah. So uh, checking. This is from The New York Times. Believe <laughs> I it thought not. this is an incredible story. <laughs> it's an incredible, it's an incredible story. story. Checking privilege in the animal kingdom. Researchers. No, no you're kidding me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Dude, they're talking about wealth inequality of squirrels. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not joking. That's what this is about. And they say they say human <laughs> concepts of intergenerational wealth and inequality are useful in studying some animals' behavior. Again, this is the New York Times. <laughs> this is this is the old gray lady. Wait. So this is intergenerational wealth in the squirrel kingdom. So, so it's like you got more nuts than everybody else. So that's the thing. Is I'm gonna go straight to straight to the article. It says. Some North American red squirrels are born with a silver spoon in their mouths. They live in pine forests where the adults defend caches of food. Without a cache of their own, many baby squirrels won't survive the winter. But each year, some squirrel mothers abandon their territory, bequeathing all their food to one or more babies who stay behind. These young squirrels are much more likely to survive until the spring. So, like, so we're going to we're going to enforce squirrel socialism. The New York Times is demanding, you know, uh, uh, wealth redistribution <laughs> among yeah. the squirrel kingdoms. That's exactly right. What are those Central Park squirrels going to do when you got the fat cats living in the North Woods? And it says so you have to trust the science. Scientists begin to wonder, uh, began to wonder if they could learn more about inequality by studying it in animals. When we started looking for it, we found lots and lots of examples of it. Doctor Smith said. <laughs> I got to reiterate, man, the Ph.D. doctors, not the real doctors, not the real ones. <laughs> they're, they're planning to expand the survey beyond squirrels looking at wealth and privilege across thousands of more animal species. Well, let me tell you, the Washington Post actually beat them to the punch with this. Are no. you serious? I don't know if you guys remember this article that they put out a couple of months ago. The headline was The Racist Legacy Many Birds Carry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Did we covered this on the program? We yeah. did. We yeah. did. We did. Birds, it, birds are racist. It was their name. Names. They were named racist things, I guess. Uh, but I don't know that the birds know that their names are their names, right? The squirrels certainly know their own uh, intergenerational wealth. Well, uh, we, 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 we tore down the statues. Are we going to shoot the birds? <laughs> is that it? Well, what I want to know is who is like the squirrel Rockefeller? Like who's really <laughs> running shit out there? Like just building Dude, an I'll tell empire. You, no, I'll tell you who they were. <laughs> They're the ones that we read about in St. Paul who were taking down all the Christmas decorations. Oh, that's right. That's right. Right? Yeah. The big fat. Huge squirrels clearly, that are just dominating. They're well-funded. <laughs> well-funded. <laughs> Intergenerational wealth. They think everything belongs to them. And we have even more breaking animal news. Uh, this is about the monkey escape. And thank you, first of all, to all our fans for tagging Ruthless on Twitter every time there's an important animal story. It's- I do feel like we started doing Animal Kingdom more than anything else because I'm tagged consistently in more animal news than anything else. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's wonderful. It's it's really fascinating stuff. Some of this. <laughs> it really cleanses the timeline on Twitter. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, it says uh, it says right here a trailer carrying 100 monkeys collided with a dump truck this afternoon just off I-80 near Danville. According to state police, four of those monkeys got loose. 
The Pennsylvania Game Commission is looking for the monkeys. <laughs> like this is, this is Planet of the Apes like happening in real time. Here's one of the great tweets from the crash. Crash update. Small number of monkeys may have fled the crash scene to the surrounded area. If the, if the public spots one, please keep your distance and call 911 immediately. Health and safety resi- of our residents and visitors is our top priority. And again, you know, uh, noted animal publication, New York Times, has some color on this. It says, Sinomalgus uh, monkeys were in such high demand for coronavirus vaccine research at the beginning of the pandemic that some scientists were talking about the need to create a strategic <laughs> monkey reserve. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> An emergency stockpile similar to those maintained by the U.S. government for oil and grain. Like, this is how Planet of the Apes begins. You know? A strategic monkey reserve. It's like Fauci's got a lab. God knows what's happening in there. It's a lot of monkeys. Like, we're getting Planet of the Apes. You, you like, got... We're going from coronavirus. Next stop, Planet of the Apes. You got to ask India how that worked out for them. Yeah, monkeys, they, they, like I said before, like, they are very vengeful. They, they fuck shit up. Yeah, well, you so, don't want to so, fuck around with a lot of monkeys. So, Smug, I think that's a real concern here because if you wed the monkey, strategic monkey reserve, with gain-of-function research... Oh, my God. And we get some gain-of-function <laughs> monkeys... Can you imagine that? It is Planet of the Can Apes. Can you imagine that? Yeah, no, actually, I can. I Remember, bet Fauci's working on it. We called it first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the end, a very happy ending for these monkeys, and they're all accounted for. Uh, apparently, we're uninjured in the crash. But here's the thing: is of course they tell us they're all accounted for. Yeah, like, you think right? there's a lose monkey? Hey, hey, listen, the World Health Organization says coronavirus can't be transmitted person to person. So, <laughs> all the monkeys are accounted for. And don't wear a mask. Whatever you do, don't wear a mask or wear a mask. And and those those monkeys that are like horseback and shooting guns, they absolutely didn't come from a lab. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you guys, we, we may have noticed that the food supply continues to be under under pressure across the country. Yeah. And uh, food industry executives, this is from the Wall Street Journal, food industry executives and analysts warn that the situation could persist, persist for weeks or months, even as the current wave of COVID-19 infections eases. Recent virus-related absences among workers have added to the continuing supply and transportation disruptions that are keeping our some foods scarce. I mean, dude, how is nobody working on this? I mean, literally, how is nobody working on this? I mean, I think Mayor Pete is still on paternity leave. And the thing is, is that, again, I reiterate, you put the guy back to work and he'll be like, all right, let's see about doubling bread prices. I think that may ease the demand side. <laughs> Like, honestly, I think it's better for us if we don't have him taking a look the at bread, it. The bread. So, Holmes, Holmes, I mean, just the other day, you and I uh, were having a beer. Yeah. And uh, wanted to get some buffalo wings. Yeah, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Didn't have them. They had... Uh, the, the chicken thighs. Yeah, chicken thigh, which, uh, to be honest, wasn't that great. Not great. I don't know if it was just the place we were at, but it wasn't that great. No, not a fan, really. So <clears throat> the other side of the story is all non-U.S. individuals seeking to enter the United States via land ports of entry and ferry terminals at the U.S.-Mexico and U.S.-Canada Canada borders must be fully vaccinated for COVID-19. Uh, it's almost like Biden wants to cripple the supply chain. I mean, the, the plan is basically make it as impossible for any labor to get done in this country. For You've, you've, you've heard about it. Airlines are like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mysteriously, we have a lot of people who didn't show up to work. Uh, truck drivers across the country are like so in demand. When California passes more and more restrictions on that, meanwhile, you can just rob a train, no problem. If you're looking for <laughs> no, it's a, it's absolutely critical, smug that you know the truck driver who spends 
18 hours a day in a, alone. in a cab alone in his truck, he's got to be vaccinated. Oh, yeah, 100%. And probably they're, they're going to be like, okay, you got to be double masked. We're going to start putting cameras in there. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's just an absolute chaotic uh, scene of migrants entering the country. With, I mean, the, the, to say that they haven't had vaccines is a real understatement, right? right? I mean, it's, a, it's an epidemic of gigantic proportions down there. But the truck drivers, the truck drivers. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're the problem. They're the problem. They're the problem. <laughs> I mean, I, we're not going to get out of this anytime soon, folks. Not, Make, not makes you kind of wish you were a prepper. Not with these folks in charge. Uh, but hope is on the way. Uh, we got to cover how friend of the program, Glenn Youngkin, has gotten to work right away in Virginia for parents and students. Yeah, yeah, this is this is big. So on his first day, he did a bunch of executive orders, and everything that he talked about during the campaign, he ultimately impl- implemented, right? And gave schools, basically reversed the mandate on masks, gave kids the opportunity to wear a mask or not wear a mask if Letting they want. Letting the parent decide. What a novel idea. What a novel idea. He also has done uh, all kinds of different things with mandates on vaccines and everything else. Now, you've seen a split in sort of the lib suburbs. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Where some of these school districts are like pushing back and they're deciding to file lawsuits against Yunkin. Yeah. Yeah. Arlington, False Church, Fairfax. I, I got to tell you, like their commitment, the ideological commitment to insanity is really overwhelming. It's really overwhelming. Despite all of the evidence that you get over two years of this pandemic, these people are still totally wedded to like the anti-Trump movement uh, messaging of May of 2020. Right. Imagine, you know? imagine being so against parents being able to decide like what's good for their kid. You know, let the parent decide the basic health decisions for their kid that you're like, we're going to file suit. Yeah. This is not happening. No, parents we are, are not going to decide. So desperately want to mask toddlers, you know, commit child abuse. Like that is that is key for me. It's they, really important. They, they, Very important. They're so yeah. concerned. They didn't they didn't you didn't hear a peep from these folks when kids were out in, in 20 degree weather being forced to eat lunch outside, sitting on concrete, not allowed to talk to each other. That right. was okay. Yeah. But they're concerned. They're like, oh, no, right. parents, parents can't make any Despite all, all evidence, all scientific ev- evidence and data that this virus is not a serious threat to children and their health. They want to put masks on toddlers. Yeah, yeah. The, the the group least at risk from suffering right. like adverse effects is be, get, suffering the worst crackdown of all. Totally. So it's all these school districts are filing suit. There's beginning, however, not surprisingly, to see elected official Democrats start to split on this. And I think it was yesterday, uh, Virginia Democratic Senator, a guy named Chap Peterson, Old chap Peterson, who's from Fairfax, which is, I mean, we're talking about a really liberal area in right. Northern Virginia. But also sort of ground zero, for, you know, Loudoun County, ground zero for the sort of parents revolt in Virginia against these yeah. school boards. So, you know, I think he sees the writing on the wall here. And he basically said, um, you know, that he's he's against continuing this mandate. He said, quote, the forced masking policy is going to end very soon, i.e. in a few weeks. Otherwise, the General Assembly will step will again step in. It is not an acceptable long-term solution. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. But I mean, this, again, you're coming from a liberal Democrat. It's starting to see the people who actually have some sort of accountability with voters right. have begun to change on this, right? School boards <clears throat> have not. Yeah, I mean, like, nobody's going to give away this power willingly unless we are, you know, that's can force it. That's them it. to. right there. Like, we, we have to end the psychosis of this pandemic, whether they like it or not. And yeah. I mean, the only way you're going to do that is people like this being brave and stepping up. I mean, in 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 Virginia's uh, state senate, it's a it's a one seat majority for the Democrats. So this this flip is huge because it means 
we can do it. Yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah. Right. Just got to keep pushing. And we're going to keep an eye on this because I think Virginia in a lot of ways is ground zero for it, not only because of Yunkin and his victory, but because it's been an incubator of the school's issue. And, and it's been something that's powerfully shifted traditional Democratic constituencies to the center and center right that ultimately the reason why the guy's governor. So right. we're, going to, we're going to keep checking that out. You want to talk about our train robberies? Absolutely. So following coverage on the program, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom went to visit the site where thousands of packages were being stolen from trains near L.A. This is excellent. This is a quote from him. He says, I'm asking myself, what the hell is going on? We look like a third world country. Gavin Newsom said at the site of an L.A. train theft. He, he should he should really talk to the governor and figure it out. Yeah, huh? If only yeah. he knew someone who could govern California. I quote, governor of California. Like, it's insane. He's like, how did this happen? We're all trying to find the person responsible. <laughs> <laughs> a hot dog meme. <laughs> but, but, dude, I don't know if you guys saw this. I actually watched the press conference. Yeah. And he starts off with this, like, sort of convoluted explanation of what's happening. Like, like it's a mystery and how a train gets robbed, right? I mean, <laughs> so he starts with this thing and he's like, here's the quote. This is not a one-off. This is organized theft. There are organized gangs of people, and then and then I, I like I, as I'm watching it, I watch him like take a step back and get get silence from it, and he immediately starts apologizing for using the word gangs. That he said it, it wasn't meant to be a pejorative. Before he finishes the thought, like he was actually more concerned, right, that offending the criminals, that that the yeah. criminals would be offended by his term of, and that's gangs. it. That to me right now is the heart of the left. That, yes. is, that is them in a nutshell. They're like, okay, guys, I don't know about this word choice of, uh, you know, smash and grabs. Can we say, you know, just uh, involuntary reappropriation <laughs> of uh, Louis Vuitton bag? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's truly remarkable. You got to keep an eye on that, too, because, I mean, have you seen the pictures of that of around oh, yeah. the train? It's like nothing but empty boxes. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're rifling through it. I'm like. Now I know why my Amazon order is like delayed. Like you can't get any like good luck getting anything in two days. You'll get nothing in two days. Uh, I can't even get eggs at the grocery store. Still, we're on week two of not being able to uh, get eggs at a grocery store. Meanwhile, it's it's like a open air market of everyone else's stuff. Right. Like around yeah. the trains in California. It's like if you want to if you want to like fix the supply chain, get yourself a ticket to California. Find yourself a train. There you go. But ho hold on, like the old west with a six shooter and a shotgun hanging onto the side of the train, and somebody comes at you, you can fix your problem in a hurry. And, that, and that's the thing; <laughs> right? it's like it doesn't even take that much effort because, like, uh, the trains are basically parked, and and the there, there's like a police agency specifically that monitors <laughs> well, like, the railways. Great, job. and they were told basically to stand down. Seriously? Yeah, by the by, by the authorities in, in California, they're like, listen, we don't want anyone getting hurt out there. I don't understand how anybody lives in California any longer with these things. Like if you get, they're not going to prosecute crime in stores that are being looted. The trains that pass through aren't going to be protected. Like what? It, I mean, it literally is just complete chaos. It's a, fa it's a failed state. It is. Like you might actually have to move the infrastructure in this country around California. <laughs> like think about that. Cause like, it's not just their boxes, right? It's our boxes. But, like everybody else's but boxes. We got to build a wall around California <laughs> and you can't let them out because the problem is, like the people, they're there, gonna go vote. They're gonna go they're, vote in red states. They're and gonna be like, vote in red states. Oh man, for, I made this place shit too. How yeah, did that happen? Yeah, like well, locusts. They're electoral locusts. These people. On that score, California's fleeing for Texas are fleeing so fast that U-Haul is actually run out of trucks for them. 
Incredible. California, Illinois saw the largest net loss of U-Haul trucks. It, I love these kind of stats because it just so perfectly illustrates what we talk about all the time yeah. about how people are leaving these failed states and going right. to red states and whatever. But there's probably no more granular metric than how many U-Haul trucks have left and not come back. Well, because you can't bullshit it, right? Yeah. Like, and the Democrats will say, like, you know, these cities are... Yeah, we have um, the GDP and um, it's so successful in New York and Chicago and L.A. And it's like, well, I mean, the people don't lie. They just voted with their feet and they hate you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's like, well, but again, I reiterate, that's the problem is like, remember what happened. Remember why you're leaving, because as soon as they show up, like especially like in Austin, you're starting to see it in Austin, folks. Like I, the, the you, you try to go out and get some barbecue at night. There's probably going to be someone who would be better off in, in a medical facility than out on the streets. Like I know uh, personally, a friend of mine moved out of the Upper West Side, a uh, great part of town in New York, uh, because uh, when COVID hit, they emptied out a mental health facility and put <laughs> oh all those God. people into a hotel across the street from this guy's house where like outside they're just like assaulting women all day long. So that's it's like the, that's the Bagram plan. You're, you're going right? to start Is seeing that the, this. They, they just yeah. use the Bagram plan yeah. in New York We don't need the City. base, you know. Um, but that's that's my greatest concern is you get these people who leave these like absolutely horrendous conditions, horrific, horrific policy making decisions being made by these folks in these blue states. And they're like, oh, I, it's untenable. I got to get out of here. Time to move somewhere nice, a red state, and then just vote for the same old bullshit. Like, that's awful, awful. Absolute concern of mine. Like, build the wall around California sooner than later. I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, listen, fellas, we've got a uh, an interview that... Listen, our, our, our whole goal has been all along to provide as many good interviews as we can with people who are in competitive primaries and races that we absolutely have to win to save this country. And so we've done, as we say, this will be the second one in Missouri. I think we've done four or five in Ohio, four or five in Pennsylvania. We've done a bunch of different candidates. Right. This one, Congressman Billy Long, uh, it's interesting and, and interested to get everybody's take. I want to welcome to the program somebody who's one of the most colorful members of Congress. You can't find a lot of people that don't like this guy, honestly. Uh, Congressman Billy Long, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Listen, it's great. I mean, we've, we've wanted to have you on for a little bit now, and, uh, and you've got a lot going on. Obviously, you're now running for U.S. Senate from the great state of Missouri. You betcha. You bet we are. Well, let's t tell us about that, because you're you're sitting congressman. You got a lot of SWAT up there. Obviously, Republicans are on the rise. Roy Blunt uh, decides he wants to retire, opens up a Senate seat and uh, and you jump right in. Talk us through a little bit about your thought process on that. Well, I I, follow, I come to Congress from a lot different background than most folks. I when I ran for Congress, I was sworn in when I was 55 years old and I'd never had any political uh, background whatsoever. And I was an auctioneer and a real estate broker for 31 years. And I wanted to run for Congress back in the 90s when Roy ran. But I thought about it then for about 15 minutes because our girls, <laughs> were, se our girls were seven years old and 10 years old. And I didn't want to be a long distance dad and just see them on the weekends. Or I didn't want to raise them up in Washington, D.C. I wanted to raise yep. them up in so southwest Missouri. So I didn't give it any serious consideration. But when Kit Bond retired from the Senate and Roy said he was in I stood up in my living room, raised my right hand. I said, I'm in because the girls were 22 and 25 at that time. And I thought, you know, this is the time to do it. I came through an eight-way primary. So I've got a history in tough primaries, eight-way primary. 
And I was the guy that I was the Donald Trump of the race. I was a business guy. I wasn't supposed to win. I was a joke. I was only doing it for publicity. All these things they yeah. threw at me. Right. Right. And, you know, he, he doesn't know how to legislate. He's never been in, you know, any office, but I was the only one out of the eight that had ever signed the front of a check, run a business, hired people, fired people. And I thought that's what was lacking in Washington, DC. And they said, well, you know, he doesn't uh, have any, uh, background of legislative experience. And I said, well, you know, we've got enough experience in Washington, D.C. to choke a horse. I mean, we've had, <laughs> had uh, you know, all these guys that have been there for years and years and years. And some of the first meetings I've been in, they'd say, I've been here 22 years. This is the worst I've ever seen. It. I've been here 18 years. This is the worst I've ever seen. It. I've been here 35. And I'm like, maybe you're the problem, you know? <laughs> maybe that's why it's the worst. <laughs> yeah yeah it's all this great experience that has led us into these huge you know national debt 14 trillion when i got here bumping up against 30 trillion now it's uh you know that type of experience i didn't think we needed anymore yeah well and i can certainly understand why you wouldn't want to raise your children in washington dc you're taking your family in your own hands at that point that's a real roll of the dice but but your your background is fascinating you mentioned you're an auctioneer yeah, yeah. I uh, I was a 24-year-old real estate broker about to starve plumb to death because interest rates were 16, 17, 18% on a home loan. Now, you go home tonight, calculate your mortgage payment, and then plug in 16, 17, 18% of the computer That's and see what wild. it look, looks like. You couldn't give away a house. So here I am, a 24-year-old kid trying to make it as a real estate broker about to starve to death. Because why? Because we had the second worst president ever jimmy <laughs> carter i never thought i'd live long enough to say he was the second worst but now we have the worst president ever so i had to drive off to auction school headed up there in the old oldsmobile with four ball tires on it had a flat on the way up to kansas city and they uh, got out changed the tire got back in uh went to auction school and came home and you know not that I was any smarter or any better than anyone else, but I just, I found my niche and you know how it is in sales, oh, yeah. 10, you know, 10% of the people sell 90% of the product, whether it's carpeting or whether it's real estate or whatever it is. And I just absolutely found something I was good at and did it for 31 years. And people said, well, you know, you're not going to be able to hire staff. You don't know how to hire people. And I said, well, in my auction company, if you've been with me 20 years or less, you're one of the newer people in my company. And I'm like, <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt used to say, you know, I, you hire good people and you're smart enough to stay out of their way. And I got to tell you, I uh, have really, really had a good run with my staff. It's I've, I've got the same chief of staff I started out with. Yeah, it's got, rare. Uh, That's very rare. I've got people that have been with me the entire 11 years that I've been up here. And one of the things I'm proudest of is that last November, I've been here nine years and 10 months in Washington, D.C. And after that amount of time, nobody likes Congress. Nobody likes their congressman. I got the highest raw vote total I'd ever received. And I got the highest percentage I'd ever received. And I went on Tucker Carlson back in August to announce my run, August the 3rd. And, you know, I, I said, people say, well, you know, he you know, doesn't really want to do it. He just getting publicity. They're throwing the same stuff at me. They yeah. were the first time. And I was supposed to come in dead last. And Roy Blunt paid me a very big compliment in Politico the other day. He said, you know, when Billy ran for Congress, no one thought he would win the primary. And you know how Roy kind of pauses yeah. when he talks. And he said, he said he won it by a comfortable 
margin. And jo- <laughs> Josh Hawley, our other senator from Missouri, paid me a huge. He was an intern for me in radio. Oh, is that right? I didn't, I didn't I know didn't that. Talk, I didn't talk radio for six years. And when he was in high school, he was one of our interns at KWTOAM 560. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> so, uh, yeah, but but he paid me a huge compliment in that same political article when they were writing about this race. And he said, you know, Billy Long is the same guy in private that he is in public. And that's pretty rare. And to me, between those two guys saying those two things, you know, and I'm just me. I mean, in 1967, I think there was a play on Broadway, Rainbow Connection, Rainbow something or other with uh, Steve Lawrence and Eddie Gourmet. And there was a song in that in that play called I Have to Be Me. Well, <laughs> one year later, one year later, the guy that uh, I probably my favorite all-time live performer, Sammy Davis Jr., who I saw three times. He changed the title from "I Have to Be Me" to "I Got to Be Me," and that's me. I mean, I, I have—I cannot remanufacture myself. I cannot say I've got a different voting record than I have for the last seven years. I can't say I'm something I'm not. And that first race, there was eight of us, and nobody made up anything about themselves. They all ran it themselves, and that's what I'm doing this time. And yeah. I said some of my colleagues are trying to uh, reinvent their voting record and their history and stuff, stuff that's easy to check, you know? So if this plays out, I got to be me. I'm going to be me. I'm going to run as Billy Long and I'm going to point out these other people who they were before March 4th or March 6th, whenever Roy said he'd given it up and who they are after, because there's been a great metamorphosis in their careers. Yeah. Let's talk about that for for a second. I mean, look, you, Work, being you has worked out pretty well for you. You won a nail biter by, I think, 42 last time around. So, you know, it's worked out in your congressional district unquestionably. But you got a really crowded field in Missouri at this point. And, and I'm not breaking any news to you. Obviously, this is a seat the Republicans have to have if they have any prayer of of regaining the majority in the Senate. It's an absolute must have, uh, which is, I assume, why you're running. You think you're the, the best qualified to do it. Talk to me for a minute about what what stands out from you from the rest of the field, other than what we just talked about by your authenticity, which, you know, look, I happen to agree with. You're as authentic as the day is long. Yeah, well, I mean, look at, you know, the other candidates check their voting. Right. When they say I'm the most I'm the I'm, I'm the lifetime conservative in the race. And then you go check the voting record and they are identical with Liz Cheney. They have the same uh, club for growth. They're at 61. I'm at 93. It, you know, it's cra- I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you go out and you cut an ad like that and you say you're the lifetime conservative in the race. Right. And, you know, you're tied with Liz Cheney. Come on. I mean, you know, like I said, when I went to check my club for after I saw that ad, I went to check my rating. I, I was kind of, you know, did it with trepidation because I haven't always agreed with the club. I pushed back with them on stuff and I opened up that website and I looked. I'm thinking I'm going to be, you know, 75, 80. 93 and i'm like wow and then i looked up the one that said that they were you know the lifetime conservative and you know 61 and so i looked up the name next to him tied 61 liz cheney so that's you know uh and if you you know if you were known as the ninth democrat senator in missouri when you were in the senate and you voted to sell farmland to china and now you're saying you're this great big china hater and you're suing china and this that and the other come on i mean who wait which was, which candidate is this which is the china selling farmer i i which one is this eric schmidt eric okay. schmidt he when he 
was a senator, Missouri, it was illegal for foreign countries to buy farmland in Missouri. He fought and changed the law so Smithfield Foods could buy, uh, so China could buy Smithfield Foods and all the farmland up there in North Missouri. It's, you know, and now he's just big, oh, I hate China. You know, he's a softie on China. Come on. I mean, he tried to put a Chinese court in St. Louis. And, you know, right now this race is all about name ID. These guys know both the Eric's and they neither one will appear anywhere. We had a big Clay County Forum up in Kansas City. The GOP was their first coming out party after COVID. It was going to be in person, and they had a Senate forum set up. And so in this forum, we were all going to be there. Well, Vicki Hartsville showed up, and Mark McCloskey showed up, and I showed up. Neither one of the Eric's showed up. Mm. A few weeks later, we're down in Lebanon, this big, you know, GOP confab, and, you know, everybody was supposed to be there. Well, Eric Brighton didn't except Schmidt accepted and canceled the night before. So, you know, I think the best I can figure, I've been trying to figure out where they are. And I think that both the Eric's are living in Joe Biden's basement. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you covered Eric Schmidt. Uh, I didn't know any of that. Eric Greitens, I think by recent polling, it shows that he's got a lead, which is it's sort of mind boggling to me, given his exit as as governor of Missouri. Where do you think this stands? Is Schmidt your biggest competition? Is Are they all your biggest competition? Where do you think the race stands? Well, I, I think, you know, if you think back to some of the great presidents we had, like President Palente and, and President uh, Jeb Bush and some <laughs> of the folks, you know, that were uh, those presidents. Remember their presidencies, don't you? I mean, they were leading by <laughs> such huge numbers early in the race. There was no way they were going to be. And uh so right now, like I said, it's all about name ID, but everybody knows Eric Greitens because he was our governor. Everybody knows Eric Schmidt because he's our AG. And uh, so, you know, but, but when their records come out, they don't want to appear anywhere because their record, you know, I'm going to stand there on the stage and I'm going to say, why did you sell our farmland to China? And now yeah. you're trying to convince, you're trying to convince us you hate China. Come on, you know. Uh, How would you, I, it seems to me like, look, Greitens is a tough sell for me. And you're the, the consummate, consummate salesman. Like, how would you auctioneer Eric Greitens' candidacy <laughs> at this point? Like, I mean, I'm not sure he lives in Missouri. If he does, uh, it, it, there isn't any evidence of it because, like you said, he hasn't shown up at anything. But Yeah, and he, he I mean, he, I was walking down the hallway. Like, this is like 10 days. This is one day in March after uh, Roy Blunt announced he wasn't going to run again. I'm walking between the CVC and the house, that little tiny ramp there between the two and Chuck Schumer's leaning against the wall, got his arms crossed. That's how they, all these guys do, you know, they all put their campaign picture, you know, where they cross their arms. That's some kind of a power pose, but, but yeah, I'd like to do that, but I'm too fat. I mean, I can't get my arms crossed in front of me. And, uh, but anyway, Schumer's sitting there leaning against the wall with his arms crossed and he's holding court with four five, six people. And I'm walking up the ramp and he goes, uh, he goes, hey, there goes Billy Long. Said he's probably going to be the next senator from Missouri. Now, this is like 10 days after one and now. And I kind of chuckled and walked on. And, and he said, no, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. And you're better than the other ones that are talking about it. And I just, you know, chuckled and walked on. He said, hey, what do you think about Eric Greitens? So that told me a lot. I mean, Eric Greitens is Chuck Schumer's candidate. Oh, don't, 100%. Don't, don't think any different, you know. <laughs> If you talk to any reporter in town, they, the first thing they'll tell you is all about what the Democrats say about Eric Crichton's, how great he is. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, and I told Trump, I mean, and I'm not a show horse at all. I mean, 
I'm not a, uh, you know, uh, everybody thought, you know, Billy Long, he's a comedian. He's did talk radio for six years. He's a funny guy. He'll get up there and, you know, he'll be this big joke. And I've done like, when I did Tucker Carlson August 3rd, like that's like the third or fourth table hit I've done in 11 years. I mean, I stick to my netting. I do my work. Like I said, I got the highest Bravo total I'd ever received back in November. I got the highest percentage I'd ever received back in November. And I'm just me. I just, you know, like I said, I got to be me. I, I just do the work. Veterans issues, I'm huge on. I've got two ladies in my office. That's all they do is help veterans get what they should be able to get on their own. And that's another thing that drives me nuts is that a veteran ought to be able to call the VA and get what they have coming. But unfortunately, the congressman a lot of times has to get involved, which we're glad to do. And then we'll get them, you know, what they had come. And I had one guy that he stopped by the office and he said, my uh, dad died 37 months ago. He said, mom's been trying to get his VA benefits for 37 months. They've been to everywhere, been to every political office, nobody will help in Kansas City, the VA and everything. He said, I came in your office here 28 days ago and mom got her first check today. And I just stopped by to thank you. Well, then later, a few weeks later, I saw him in a restaurant. He came up and said, hey, see that little old lady over there? And I said, yeah. And he said, come over there. That's my mom. She said, she got a $37,000 check today for back pay, and she wants to meet you. So I went over there and, you know, talked to her, and we head back up to the front. He said, I got to tell you. He said, we're huge Democrats. I used to work with, and he named a local Democrat that's no longer with us uh, there in Springfield. They said, I used to work with her a lot. and said, you know, you haven't got us, he said, you don't have us one over yet, but we're leaning your way, you know? So yeah. that makes you, that makes you feel good when you can help people and you don't stop and ask them, you know, are you Republican, you Democrats, conservative, you liberal, you progressive, what are you before I know if my office can help you? And I think that that's what a lot of people don't know about Congress is that, you know, if you have a passport issue, go to your congressman. If you have a, whatever it is, uh, you know, if it's a social security issue, if it's a, IRS issue. If it's a, we can't always guarantee a good result, but I know in my office in particular, we will guarantee good effort. And that's yeah. what, uh, you know, what people ask. Yeah. Listen, that's what public service is all about. And it gets you a long way, as you said, in terms of the politics kind of take care of themselves. Once you do a good job over a period of time, people know that you're looking out for them. So hats yeah, off and, to and, you, you know, and you know, Vicki Hartzler is one that, you know, she cut her first ad and she said, she said, I'm the lifetime conservative in the race. And that's when I, I thought, I don't know anyone in Washington, D.C. that considers Vicki a conservative. And so I went and looked up her score. She's tied with Liz Cheney. And then on ACU, American Conservative Union, you know, CPAC match slap. They've got her in the C category down at 70 something, you know, lifetime. I'm in the upper 80s. And it's just like, why do you lie about your record? I mean, let's, let's all just you know, flesh it out, get out there, show the people in Missouri who will. And I mean, whoever wins this race, I'm going to back them. I mean, if it's, if I'm not the guy in August or the gal in August that wins, you know, I'm going to back whoever it is because we have to hold this seat. And I think I wish some of the other ones have that attitude too. Oh, but, yeah. You know, that's, 100%. that's important that we, but I told president Trump when I, I mean, I was the first guy in on him. And uh, <clears throat> when I, Went to see him. I did cut Tucker's show on August 3rd. Went across town, went up Trump Tower, 26th floor, just the two of us sitting him on one side of the desk, me on the other, no staff. And I said, he said, so you're getting in. And I said, well, not now, but when Tucker airs tonight, I'll be, I'll be in. <laughs> and, uh, 
And uh, he said, you're getting in without my endorsement. And I said, Mr. President, I'm going to win this with or without your endorsement. I want your endorsement. I love your endorsement. But, you know, I can give you a three for one sale. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I said, you know, everyone says that if Greitens gets the nomination, it's going to cost us 40 to $50 million to drag him across the finish line. And we may not get him drugged across. Yeah, that's and right. If, if I'm the nominee, which, you know, with Trump's endorsement, that would be a sea change. And whoever he endorses in Missouri, it's over, in my opinion. And I said, you know, you endorse me. You know, I'm, you know, I back you longer and stronger than anyone. And I'm the one that originated the phrase Trump train back in the day. And he, he knows all this stuff. And I said, but if you, you know, help me get the nomination, that'll say we can go back and spend that 40, 50 million in Arizona, that seat we should have never, ever lost and spend it in Georgia for that seat. We should have never, ever lost instead of spending 40, 50 million dollars to drag a guy across the finish line in Missouri in a ruby red state. Come on. You know, so <laughs> pretty good salesman, Billy Long. You're a pretty good salesman. <laughs> That's my sales pitch to the president. <laughs> well, so far he's sitting it out, but we'll see what happens. This thing's just now heating up. You're just now getting yeah, well, into we the were, of it. We were we were in uh, Las Vegas having a fundraiser, and this is back in October of 16, and the president's people called and said, called my chief of staff, said, Billy, needs need to go down to Henderson, Nevada, and introduce Trump at a rally tomorrow. <laughs> and, you know, I said, Joe, I'm out here. It's a casual weekend. I don't have a jacket. don't have a time. I'm going to go introduce Trump tomorrow. Well, Trump called back and said, tell Billy he's going. So, you know, what would you do? So I go out to the, you know, fat and tall shop there in, uh, in <laughs> Vegas, this strip center, this cheap strip center. My wife picks out this blue blazer, you know, and it fits uh, perfect. You know, and she picks out this yellow tie, go up the pay. And I, I throw the tie and the coat on the counter there in front of the guy. And the, and the price tag flips out under the tie. And I said, I said, is that the price of that tie? And he said, yeah, you know, I thought maybe it was $238, you know, 90% off how they do in these clothing stores. Yeah. He said, I said, I'm not paying $238 for a tie. My wife said, oh, yeah, yeah, you need it. I said, I don't need that tie. Do you have any cheaper ties? Yeah, we're at the same table. So we go back and I pick out, or my wife picks out a $37 tie. That's that's a tip. Don't ever dress yourself. Let your wife dress you. Oh, but, I've, uh, I've subscribed to that for quite some time now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so anyway, she picks out a $37 tie, and I'm like, that's twice what I paid home, but I'm good. So I go introduce Trump at this rally. We're, we're doing another fundraiser down at Coachella, the Geezer Palooza tour with uh, Paul McCartney and Bob Dylan and Roger Waters and the who, and you know, it's a three day fundraiser we're doing down there. So me and Barbara drive down there, you know, all of our people have houses. So we, everybody gets their house and wake up the next morning, the access Hollywood tape was come out. And so Paul Ryan calls an emergency meeting with the Republican conference to talk about this access Hollywood tape. And he goes, I'm not going to support the guy. I'm not going to be seen with him. I'm not going to do anything. All I'm going to do from now on is work. Now, this is three weeks before the election. Yeah. So all I'm gonna all I'm gonna do is work to save the house. Well, I never get like I said, I'm a workhorse, not a show horse. I don't get in on the queues, I don't dominate by asking questions all the time. But I was the second person in the queue. And I, you know, and I said, Yeah, I said, Paul, what are you saying? You're not gonna you're gonna save the house for what? A Hillary Clinton presidency? I mean, that's these anti-Trump people drive me nuts. And, you know, that, at that time, it was between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. So then on the Friday before the Tuesday election, I called Paul up and I said, Paul, you need to do a mea culpa. Well, what do you mean, Billy? 
I said, you need to do a mid culpa. You need to say, not only can this guy win, he's going to win. And I'm going to do everything I can for the next three days. I'm going to be on the campaign trail with him. And I said, Paul, he's going to get 300 electoral college votes next Tuesday. What did he get? He got 304, 302, and they took two away from him. But, you know, and, and Trump knows all of this, but, you know, but I'm not out of central casting. I'm not young. I'm not good looking. I'm not a Sean Duffy. Who's a buddy of mine. We came in Congress together. You know, I'm a, you know, you like can talk. Was, you can talk, was, though. I'll give you that. I, I was 55 years old when I got sworn in. So I don't owe anybody anything. Nobody owes me anything. And I'm just going to, like I said, like Sammy Davis Jr., I've got to be me. And that's who I'm going to be. That's who I'm going to run as, win, lose, or draw. And I'm an acquired taste. I'll admit it. I mean, not everybody likes me. And the people that don't like me really don't like me, you know, but it's, <laughs> you know, I'm just me. Listen, it's a good pitch. I got to get to three questions. Billy, I'm wondering if you would regale ourselves uh, just a, a, like 15 sex, section, uh, seconds of an auctioneer uh, role for us. Yeah, yeah. I have a hundred and a quarter hands and a lot to do and a quarter hands and a lot to do and a lot to do and a quarter hands and a lot to do and a lot to do and a lot to do and a lot to do. So good. So good. Yeah. I, I, uh, auction, I, we were in the, Rose Garden with President Trump and St. Louis Blues were there and they had the trophy and he was making fun of all them because they didn't have any teeth and everything and he's going down the line he said well there's Ann Wagner she's a great congresswoman from Missouri and there's Jason Smith a great congressman from Missouri and there's Roy Blunt Royal tell you what he thinks don't think he won't Josh Hawley's doing a great job and there's Billy and then he just stopped and he goes Billy's an auctioneer come up here Billy auction off the team <laughs> so I go. I said, I'm not going to auction the team, but I'll auction the Stanley Cups. So I got up there and I sold it for $62,500. I sold it to Trump. But you can Google Billy Long Auction Stan, uh, Stanley Cup. You can also uh, Google Billy Long Auction Protester. Oh, I saw that seen. one. Yeah. I yeah. Saw that. Yeah. When I, I sold her phone, because that was the third day of the Kavanaugh hearings. Yeah, I remember and that. I'd been there eight years at that point, And I, we'd never had a protester interrupt the hearing. And when she jumped up and started screaming, I thought, I'm not having it, you know. So yeah, I right. turned on my microphone. Yeah, $25, $30, $25, $30. The whole room was just, Jack Dorsey was the witness. <laughs> he was the only witness there from Twitter at the table. The room was, mesmer- I mean, at home, you go to three options a week out here. Nobody knows what an option is, I guess. But you could hear a pin drop. You couldn't hear her, which was my point. Because she didn't have a microphone. I did. And I got up to $525. And... Instead of saying that. sold, instead of saying sold when she got out of the room, I said five and a quarter, five and a half I have, I yield back. And the whole <laughs> room came, whole room came unglued when I said I yield back. And it wasn't a minute later, Jonathan Martin, New York Times, texted me and he said that I was at 525 and he said, I'll pay for 550 for the phone. <laughs> yeah, I bet he would. <laughs> So good. All right, Billy, I got to get three questions in for you. And I'm interested in this first one. The first question is, if you can plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? Fried chicken. There you go. There you go. My, uh, my mom, I mean, she could fried chicken and make the colonel want to run it high. <laughs> good. All right. All right. Uh, second question. If you never got into politics at all, and it sounds like you've been interested in it a long time, even predating when you actually ran. If, but if you never got into politics, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? Uh, I'm sure I'd be auctioneering real estate broker still to this day, uh, you know, because that's what I did. I mean, I'm, like I said, most people start out at city council and they get their name in the paper, then their mayor, then their state rep, then their state senator. And 20, 30 years later, you look up in the local congress and retire and they say, you'd be great. But they've never done anything. I mean, they've, 
never yes. signed the front of a check, you know, and so I, I had my career before I got here. And that's why, you know, like I said, I don't owe anybody anything. I've tried to do a good job. When I ran the first time, the people that ran my race, they said, you're too fat. We can't put you on TV. We can't, we can't have you looking in the camera because you'll scare people. So I came through an eight-way primary, led it the whole way. Two weeks out, I'm down in the polls, first time ever. And so they flew me down. Finally, one of my guys said, you don't put Billy on TV, he loses. So flew down to Dallas where the TV crew was, go in this hotel room, blew out the light circuit four times trying to cut an ad inside this hotel room. I'm sitting in the chair. I look in the camera and I said, folks, my name is Billy Long. I'm running for Congress. I may not look the part, i.e. I'm too fat, but I guarantee I'll be the part. I'll do the right thing for the right reason every day I'm there. And that's what I've tried to do. And like I said, I've done it in a low profile way. I haven't been a you know, when you do three or four cable hits in 11 years, you're really not a guy that's seeking publicity too much. Yeah. And uh, so that, you know, like I said, that's me. And it has worked fabulously for me. I hope it works in the Senate for me. I followed Roy Blunt into the house in my office in Springfield. I've got a 1982 auctioneer's license hanging on my wall. In Missouri, you buy your auctioneer's license at the county clerk's office. And my 1982 auctioneer's license, which was three years after I started is signed by County clerk, Roy Blunt. Yeah, oh, that's so, great. That's good. Story. And, uh, so, <laughs> I got, I got, I got to get three questions. Cause I got to get it, get you out of here, Billy, or your communications director is probably going to hang me. Uh, if I last, had one, they would go ahead. <laughs> the last, the last question is it's like, what goes to motivate you? Right. And it, you're either motivated in this sense by the thrill of victory, which is somebody who's kind of an optimist, glass half full, always charging up the hill type person or the agony of defeat, which is like a Michael Jordan type figure, right? Every loss that they've ever had, they wear like a backpack and they just vow to never repeat it. Where do you find yourself on that spectrum? Motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? It'd have to be the thrill of victory because I, you know, uh, UFO, when I I taught auction school for eight years during my 31 year career and I didn't, I wasn't in Kansas city for eight years, but once a month or once every four months, three months, I'd go up there and teach one week of auction school. And I used to teach what I called UFO and UFO is upbeat. You know, you gotta be upbeat and open, you you know, so you gotta be positive. You gotta be upbeat, open, positive. And so that, you know, that's what, uh, what, yeah. I, what I've always tried to do get as a salesman, you got to sell something. You got to get out there and you got to be honest with the people and, you know, so. Yeah, no, upbeat, that's good. Up, but in the F is for friendly, upbeat, friendly, and open. So I'm a gregarious guy. You know, like I said, I'm an acquired taste. Trust me. I know. I mean, some people really, really, really like me and some people don't. But I found out in politics early on, and I taught myself this for a guy that never been in politics, a third of the people love you. You went to school with them. You went to school with their kids. They've known you all your life through real estate auction, whatever. You know, you can go to Washington, D.C., and you can do no wrong in their eyes. They're always going to be with you. A third of the people despise you. They, if you told them the sun was coming up in the east tomorrow, they'd swear you were a no-good liar, and they're going to run somebody against you next time, and this is your last term. I mean, they're never, ever, ever going to be with you. So you got a third that will never leave you, a third that will never be with you, that third in the middle. They may have held their nose for you the first time and said, gosh, this, this guy's an auctioneer, real estate broker. I don't know that he could be a congressman, but maybe they held their nose and voted for you that first time. That's the third you, that you work for. That's the one you have to concentrate on because the third of the left, you don't need them. You always got them. 
third of the right, you'll never get them. And the third and the middle are the ones you got to keep happy. And I, I think that I've done a pretty good job of that. You know, just, just like I said, like Sammy Davis Jr. says, just being me. <laughs> Lessons in politics from Congressman Billy Long. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. Hey, we forgot to give it out. I need help. BillyLong.com. Go over there. You can check out our campaign, BillyLong.com. You can donate. You can volunteer. Our, our volunteer line is 41788-FED-UP because I'm fed up and I'm not having it. 41788-FED-UP. BillyLong.com. Thanks for having me on. So the dude's entertaining. I mean, I tried. I tried really hard to get him to do a full auctioneer of what he thinks of his <laughs> opponents. I, I like, I really wanted him to give like Eric Greitens case of selling his candidacy in auctioneer style. He had enough discipline not to do that. Well, so, so I actually have a piece of advice for him. I mean, a 30 second ad is not very long. No, right? you can get a lot out. You could get a lot, an auctioneer to camera. <laughs> he could get a lot of opposition research out in 30 seconds. If he uses the auctioneer voice, no question. <laughs> No some good consulting advice there. <laughs> it is. It is. And I, you know, look, I was interested because he, again, he was the first one that started dumping oppo on all of his opponents. And I think we encourage that from right. here on out. Right. Yeah. I mean, why not? Let's I'm just, it. I'm just picturing like a text scroll going down the screen as he's sitting there and he's like doing the auctioneer thing. I think, it, <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be a good bit. <laughs> it could be a good bit. It could be a good, like a micro machines type right. thing. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, so outstanding. Uh, show gentlemen another banger of an episode if i may say so myself uh again thank you so much to all our listeners these numbers are incredible we appreciate every single one of you and thank you to all our five-star reviews uh so until next time minions keep the faith hold the line and own the libs we'll see you on thursday stay ruthless <laughs>